You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's happening, y'all? Live Coast to Coast podcast here from InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. We're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. So glad that you are here and making this a part of your evening. Uh, hello to everybody who's going to join us live. And if you're listening to this a little bit later on, or maybe you're watching a little bit later on, hey, we're still grateful for you for making us a part of your uh, UNC basketball discussion consumption habits. Uh, fellas, as we do this uh, for the third week in a row, we are talking about a North Carolina team that's had a mixed bag of results in a sense that they won a game, they lost a game. I think there are things to be taken away from from both situations, uh, you know, positive and negative. Uh, Sherelle, I'll just come to you first and ask you, uh, what is your one to ten satisfaction rating with this team overall, just based on this past week? Uh, that's I wasn't prepared for that one. Uh, Joey keeps them coming. I would say somewhere between a five and a six from this past week because. They did go up uh, against Syracuse and played their worst defensive game of the season and arguably one of, one of the worst defensive games of the last decade, to be honest, when you look at all the advanced numbers, ratings, shooting percentage, all that good stuff. Um, Syracuse couldn't miss. And I think part of it was that Syracuse was, was on their game, but part of it also was UNC's defense wasn't where it needed to be. Uh, so <clears throat> that, that would normally get you like a one. But then they did come back, and as we've talked about, they, they responded to a loss um, by beating up Virginia Tech. It, it never was in doubt. There, I think there was in the first half, uh, most people were kind of like, okay, UNC is a 10-point favorite. Why are they not up by 27? And uh, eventually, you know, we went from 4 to 7 to 10 to 13 to 16. And then I don't know if I've ever seen a second half like that where I think it Got below. I don't think it ever got below seven. Maybe it got forty-four, thirty-nine. But for yeah, the I think majority, it, it of got the, to six or five. Yeah, but for the majority of the second half, like the last seventeen minutes, it was basically a, a ten-point lead in perpetuity. It felt like. So, I think them responding the way they did, uh, continuing their offensive uh, resurgence that is coupled with a uh, defensive diversion or, or divergence, I guess I should say. Uh, you got to say it was a it was a solid week. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. They beat a team that they should have beaten at home, and they lost to a team that they probably should have beaten on the road. So on they go, uh, and getting ready for this week off. Sean, same question. Uh, how do you feel after looking at at a, another mixed bag week for the Tar Heels? One loss at Syracuse, one win at home against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I I think you know looking at the past few weeks this this is a week was hoping they'd be 2-0 uh with the game at at Syracuse as well as then, then home against Virginia Tech so I give it a four four to five uh, five I think offensively um they had their their best uh best performance 
in the ACC against Virginia Tech, just on a my favorite points per possession uh, stat. They also did very well against Syracuse, although uh, you know that was getting down or really struggling at the beginning, getting down and and then doing that again in, in the second half. Uh, but defensively, um, Syracuse was was disappointing to to watch to say the least. Obviously, teams are going to have those type of those types of games, but still think that should have been a game that they should have come come back with a with a win, especially as they're trying to take take home the ACC regular season, have two teams just nipping at their at their heel, uh, as well as staying in contention for a, a, a top seed in the in the tournament. So I think we've always talked about this last seven, eight games, no real game off. And I think we're, we're seeing that. Um, but I know we'll get into it a little bit more about what, you know, what's going well and what's, what's, what can be approved upon. So I think there are definitely some, some things to, to talk about. Uh, but this week it'll be good to get, get a break. And then obviously a huge game on, on Saturday. Yeah. I think, I think both of you make some really strong points there. Shrill, do you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I was going to say we, we could go into it if we want to. The the offensive, uh, how the offense seems to be kind of ramping up at the same time that the defense is kind of ramping down. Uh, they're like two ships kind of crossing in the night, going in different directions right now. Uh, I was looking at Bartorovic, and, you know, you can sort all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. But it's wild that three of UNC's uh, best games when it comes to offensive rating have been in, in the last week and a half. So mm-hmm. – they were they were one thirty one point eight. Uh, that's points per one hundred possessions is what we're talking about. So one hundred thirty one point eight points per possession per one hundred possessions against Duke. They were at one hundred thirty two point eight against Syracuse, and then one hundred thirty one point three against Virginia Tech. The only time they've been higher than that was Tennessee when they were just at an ungodly number one fifty three point seven. So I think you're seeing the offense kind of figure it out, but at the same time they're starting to be leaky. Uh, not to use a uh-huh. start to be leaky a little bit. I, I was waiting for you to go there for me. You're starting to leak a little bit defensively. And I, I wonder, Joey, you or Sean, like, is it just this is what it's going to be? Because the last time they had a break like this, it seems like they figured out the defense during that break. It was after Kentucky and UConn where they, they mm-hmm. gave up 85 or I think it was 85 or 86 points in consecutive games. So, like, I'm curious what y'all see. Is this, like, the offense is getting better, which causes the defense to be worse, or is the defense just playing bad and the offense is finally coming around? I'll be a I'll be a, a Huckleberry for you. Um, I think the DNA of Carolina basketball uh, has always been we're going to outscore you, and then everything else kind of will will take care of itself. So I think when you're looking at a situation at, like they have right now, where I think there's a lot of guys right now that are dealing with some niggles, they've got you know. Uh, an ache here, a cramp here, a recurring whatever. Um, I think what you're seeing right now is, you know, where they may not physically be in, in their top form, uh, they're kind of reverting and letting offense take over. Uh, but, I, I'm, you know, Sherelle, you made a great point about that Syracuse game. Uh, their points per possession was, was really good, and they still lost to a, a team that was shooting 63%. I mean, it's just goes to show you how weird college basketball can be sometimes. Uh, Sean, how do you uh, how do you feel about about the the question from the delegate from from Hope Mills. Um, well, first, I think you know, looking at Syracuse, it it goes once again to college basketball, college football. How how big just playing at home home is, and you can look at the two Syracuse games. The offense was basically the same in the, in those two games that they played, but you go from 
uh, one of their best defensive performances, zero zero point eight points per possession to one of their worst. Um, and, and I think Syracuse in general, they they're a bad a bad matchup um, in in terms of their tall guards, the ability to um, you know create off the dribble, get to where they want, shoot over shoot over the smaller guards. So I think in general, that's it, it was almost reminding me way back when. Indiana had a good team and, and Syracuse took them out. And I think the sweet 16, just because they're, they're taller, taller guards and a, a difficult matchup. Uh, but in terms of the offense and defense, I think there's always a lot of skepticism early on. Is this defense for real? And they were playing lights out. Uh, the three point, per, three point percentage was, you know, re- remarkable. Uh, so I think there was always going to be that, that regression. Um, I, I think, Hopefully with Seth Trimble and and if the bench can produce a little bit more and and give a little bit more minutes, maybe there are some some fresher legs. I think Syracuse game was a little different just in terms of the, the guards that they had and the size. Um, but I think in general, teams have been putting them in a lot more motion, a lot more screens, and it's gotten a little looser in terms of we're always talking about them just being able to stay in front, or if they're getting by, there is good help side and good recovery. And I think that's gotten a little looser uh, the past few games where. They're, they're scoring, um, and maybe the, the focus and intensity isn't there as much. Um, I, it was maybe three weeks ago we said this doesn't have – they're not a UVA style or an Arkansas style where you, you know exactly what type of defense they're going to be playing. It's really been keeping their guy in front of them and playing great individual defense. Um, and I just think that's gotten a little little looser uh, the past past few weeks. Something else I think is really – go ahead, Trill. I would say it was going back to Syracuse. It was funny to me. This is kind of related to what Sean was saying, but they intentionally Syracuse plays one of the faster tempos in the ACC, and it was it was hilarious to me that in that game you could see a concerted effort from them to just completely slow it down. And I was it, it was to me I was like, man, that's that's an interesting strategy because that's the way you play, and it was almost like the ultimate sign of respect for how Carolina is playing this year. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of like throwing out what you do well just to counter what someone else does well. I've seen that happen too many times to my favorite <laughs> NFL team in the playoffs, and that's what Syracuse did. It, it was it was very very strange. I, I I don't know. I just I I was curious about y'all's opinion on that because they're a fast team. They have big guards. They have athletes. They have guys who can shoot. Like you want to get up and down the court. And that game was played at 65 possessions, and I think Syracuse probably would prefer preferred, you know, maybe 62 or 63. And both teams average right around 71 possessions per game. Um, so did you, how'd you feel about that coaching move by, by Audrey? I mean, I think, well, I'm going to, I'll answer that. And then, then, well, let me, let me flip it real, real quick. Cause I know it was a discussion in that game. Um, defensively, would you have gone zone zone at all? I know UNC, They've only played at most 10, 10 possessions all, all season. But as I'm watching, as I was watching it, um, even if it was just one or two possessions to change it up a little bit, because you look at Starling and I think he was shooting low 30%, but he got comfortable. Everybody was very comfortable in that game in the half court. Um, and I think that just continued, you know, they were very confident throughout really maybe the first minute or two, but, you know, up and up until, till the end. And, we know UNC is not a zone type of team, but just to give them a different look, I think would have been would have been um, would have been nice. But in terms of the the possessions, um, you know, I, I think they 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 got up early, and 
I thought they might melt in that for in the towards the end of the first half when UNC um, made a run, got up, um, and, and normally you could just flip the switch, but they were able to keep keep pushing. And once again, I think it went to their confidence that they, that they gained early on that they were able to to get to where they wanted almost every every possession and get get a good look. I think that's the that's the thing that I I was scratching my head about is that. You, you know, a lot of the shots, and I haven't seen the the contested, lightly contested, not contested data from from that game, but I do think you know North Carolina probably, in hindsight, could have done some things to to keep Syracuse's shooters from getting so comfortable early on. Uh, they did not go zone, like you said, Sean, and I think some people were, you know, people online were clamoring for that in the moment. I think that uh, they did try to change some things up with the way they were running, uh, kind of a what looked like a slow double team to get the ball out of Judah Mintz's hands. Uh, I think that was that was an adjustment by Hubert Davis, and it worked a little bit because he he wasn't clearly able to get as many jump shots in the second half as he did in the first. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's probably ways they could have uh, prevented Syracuse from having as hot of a start as they did and feeling themselves because that's where I think if they could have if they could have stretched out a lead and had a lead at the break of, of any significance, then Syracuse may have kind of – uh, found their water and realizing that, yeah, we got our doors blown off the first time we played these guys. Here we go again. Uh, and, and I was a little shocked to not see that. Shrill? On the zone thing, and I know the Syracuse game is like a week old, so people don't want to hear about it. But <clears throat> two, the two things, I, I think, on the zone, I, I, I don't know, man. It's like <laughs> I remember the possession against UConn. They went zone, and the Carabate immediately hit a three. And it's like, that's not what you do, but at the, at but, the same time, it's it's like you got to do something different. Which I I think they did try some some other things, but to your what you said earlier, Sean, it it is Syracuse really is a, a bad matchup for UNC with the way their guards play, and I, I think people are are now like, hey, is that the blueprint to beat Carolina? And it's like if you have an NBA guard and then another talented guard like Starling and then a guy like Bell who can shoot forty five percent from three, then maybe. And there's not many teams who, who have that. So I don't know if it's a blueprint. If it was just like a random night in upstate New York. And, you know, we just, you know, followed yeah. away with that. I don't think it's a blueprint, but I think it's definitely something to watch out for, especially in, in, in March where you're going to be playing a team that you're not as familiar against. And for everybody just to be more cognizant of what, what type of style, what type of team is this? And could this be a team that can take advantage of, you know, UNC's, UNC's guards in a, in a certain certain way and and one final note on syracuse uh so my guy ryan campbell does a lot of data you can catch him on twitter basically yeah my guy my guy like Corey. he said that syracuse on the season if i'm missing this up please correct me ryan but i think it was 34 percent they were shooting from that mid-range area so in actuality the, the scheme and the idea was sound it's just that syracuse was was making stuff it felt like um, now, granted, I'm not completely absolving UNC there, but it, it felt like a kind of a perfect storm where they yeah. were making stuff and UNC wasn't quite as strong defensively as they, as they have been. Um, one one final thought, Joey. I know Joey's like, I, I was trying to move on five minutes ago. Yeah, you guys are um, such liars, both of you. We talked about the offense being good that game just from an overall perspective, but it did have, you know, from what was it, the, the final two minutes of the first first half into the first four minutes, so really a six-minute stretch where they didn't do anything. And yeah. that, that you know, Virginia Tech at home, Duke at home, they were 
very consistent the whole time. Didn't get, you know, which is hard, hard to do. So I'm not expecting that every every game and every minute. But really, you can't have those those lulls offensively, even, no matter how well you're playing in other stretches. If you're going six minutes with um, without doing much and letting the lead grow, that, that's gonna, always going to be hard to to battle back against. All right, so we'll put a bow on the Syracuse talk with this. I, I think Sherelle makes a great point that, yeah, maybe the blueprint is there, but I don't know how many teams will have the personnel to be able to throw that sort of zone uh, against North Carolina to where it just confuses them. And again, let's let's not forget North Carolina's offense was still fairly efficient in the second half. It just wasn't efficient enough to win the game. Um, and so while we're talking about efficiencies, I know we've we've already uh, satiated Sean a little bit with some some – uh, per possession numbers earlier but um if you saw trevor marx's post from earlier today then recuse yourself from answering this guys but uh right now if i could ask you where you thought north carolina ranked in conference only offense and conference only defense what would you say sean this is your stat trail by the way i mean i i looked at it last night so uh you know i'll, I'll play the game okay 12th in offense and 15th in defense Conference only. Yes. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely trying to turn this on his head because you because you're 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 feeding me and and I love that deep down in my soul. Actually, for everybody who's watching and listening, as it sits today on Sunday, and I want to give Trevor a shout out if you really want to see some, um, some kind of good breakdowns of of what things look like on the court schematically, uh, and then statistically, Trevor's a great follow. Just an overall. Uh, good human being at TW Marks underscore on the uh, Twitter or X formerly known as Twitter. Um, North Carolina is second in the ACC in conference only offense. Uh, they're a tick behind Duke uh, at uh, 111.3 in offensive efficiency. And then in defense, just to keep Sherell happy and excited at night, they're number one. So North Carolina is, is second in conference only offense. And first in conference-only defense, that's after these these few hiccups they've had recently. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, what do you think that says? Is this an, an instance where you know stats are, are being uh, fraudulent and are lying to our face despite what we see? Or do you feel like the stats actually pr- are probably a little more, um, more representative of, of where North Carolina is as opposed to what we might see having watched them all the time, Cheryl? I think the stats are lying a little bit when it, <clears throat> it comes to the defense. So. You know, go back and read Adrian stuff, uh, Adrian Atkinson, who does great work for IC like Trevor does on, on the stats and the breakdown side of the, in the X's and O's. But there was a, a considerable amount of shot luck is what he called it uh, during that stretch where the defense was so amazing. I think they were holding teams to like 21 percent from three, which clearly was not sustainable. And now uh, I guess, you know, the, the chickens are coming home to roost, so to speak, because that that defensive efficiency they were allowing 89.7 points per 100 possessions seven games ago. So in seven games, it's creeped up almost eight points, which is a lot in a short amount of time. So I think you, you're starting to see that balance that we talked about. I, maybe a month ago, you asked us, Joey, you said, in a month, what will we be talking about with this North Carolina team? Will it be that they are a defensive-minded team who continues to you know, grind out wins, or will it be there's been some leakage, but the offenses got better. And I think what we both said was that we kind of expected them to meet in the middle, that the defense couldn't be that good for the whole season, and the offense couldn't be that average for the whole season, considering the pieces that they have. 
And I think they're now actually in a, about what they really are. And I think they're in a good spot where they're one of seven teams, if you go by Kimpom, who have top 20 offenses and defenses. And I, I do think their, their, off, their defense is good enough to stay in the top 20, especially, you know, with the teams they have coming up. Um, so I, I just think it we got a little bit too excited. And I, I did it too. After the Wake Forest game, I, I told myself I wasn't going to believe. But after the Wake Forest game, I really did believe that, wow, this was just a, a magical defensive team. But you're starting to see stuff kind of normalize. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're still one of the 15, 16, you know, best defensive teams in the country. They're just not number three or number four where they were pretty much all of January. You know, aside, and if you're still looking at that defense and trying to figure out, you know, is it statistics or is it real life? Uh, all of North Carolina's remaining games, uh, with an exception of Duke, are, are against teams who are in the bottom half of the league or bottom third of the league in offensive efficiency. So, uh, again, to your point, Shaw, I don't know that that'll be tested. Sean, same question to you: is, is are statistics lying? Or are they are they you know head faking us a little bit here? I think offensively, it's it's the I was surprised when I did see the number two, just because when they started, they were in that that bottom tier and slowly been been creeping up. Uh, but I think, you know, as we said, they had their two of their best uh, offensive games the in the past, you know, three, three, really three of the last four defensively. The fact that they're number one, uh, you know, is probably a testament to other teams going through their their issues. But as Sherelle mentioned, from where we were talking about those at a historic ACC number just a few weeks ago to now uh i think it's only a matter of time to win virginia overtakes them uh as a as a number one but at the same time it does show how well they played early on um and outside of syracuse i mean it hasn't been horrible but there's definitely some improvement points that that can be made but i would be i'll be shocked if they uh end up number one in conference defensive efficiency and they're Can still I, number one. They're still number one in in three point uh, three point d- defense, which uh, I think going into the game against Virginia Tech, that's something you can definitely take away from it. Virginia Tech did not hit a three in the second half until the waning seconds of the game, uh, and that's what they hang their hat on. And Virginia Tech was the number one three point shooting team uh, coming into that game, and it, actually they may still be. I'm not sure. Sure, I'll go ahead. Yeah, but Padula and Couture got like wide open looks there late in the second half. I think they had a chance to cut it to six, maybe, maybe five. They both missed wide open looks. Carolina got the ball, went back up, and I think they went on a five or six nothing run to kind of really put the game away. Uh, Sean said something interesting about how how well the team played in January and building that record up. And it's almost what he talks about in games where the difference between building up an eight point lead and a 14 point lead is that whenever a team goes on a huge run, you have a little bit more savings, so to speak, to withstand that run. And I think, you know, it, you can choose to look at it a couple of ways, the way the season has played out so far. I don't think anyone would argue with where UNC is or, or be frustrated with where you, UNC is, considering how last season ended and considering um, what most people thought about the team this year. So far, five games left, uh, unmitigated success, I would say. I, anyone who calls it less than that, I, I would challenge them, and, and we'd have a lively discussion. But I think the, the, the refrain has been, how can they blow or can they blow a 9-0 start in conference? And I think the, the optimist way to look at it, and I'm not saying it's the right way, I'm just saying how an optimist would look at it, is that they did enough to, to build that lead so that, that when they inevitably went through this lull, they had some cushion 
that cushion is pretty much gone now, but they had some cushion to withstand a couple of losses that probably shouldn't have happened. Georgia Tech and Syracuse definitely come to mind. I think Clemson, you're okay with that. Clemson was a desperate, solid team, you know, coming into the Smith Center after Carolina, you know, gave all it had against Duke a few nights earlier. So all that to say, it's like, yes, there's five games remaining. Their lead is gone in ACC, um, aside from a tiebreaker with Duke. It's probably going to come down like it always does to the final regular season game in either Cameron or Smith Center. That, that happens so many times over the decades. But look at it as they did so well in January and February that now they have this chance despite the low they're going to. That's kind of how I think an optimist will look at it. Again, I'm not saying that's the right or wrong way, but you, you can choose to look at it that way too. Something that's fascinating to me is if, if you consider uh, how rough North Carolina's season was last year from a fan's perspective, how quickly that January run put everybody right back in that mindset of North Carolina should never lose a game. Like North Carolina should never give up a lead. North Carolina should never lose a home. Like it just, and, and, and that's hard for me to wrap my head around too, Cheryl. You talk about the optimistic uh, point of view. I, it, it's hard for me to understand how people are already again with this, what seems like almost entitlement knowing what this team dealt with last year with regard to talent versus uh, versus results. Well, that speaks to I, that speaks to how much people love Carolina basketball, and not again, not to put our our psychologist hat on, but uh, when you love something so much and something has been so successful for so long, and a part of your identity is in that thing, like you you do feel a little entitled. And I think I think the people who run the basketball program know that without a li- you know let's not take it too far, but what, without that sense of entitlement, the Carolina basketball isn't really. It's not what it is at this point. So I think you need that, but yeah. there also has to be some common sense that's in there too. I think that's fair. Um, so let's uh, let's look forward to the, the remaining games, and I think this is uh, this is one of the things that we haven't been able to do recently because we've been looking back at, at the recent performances. But um, moving forward, I think we've got, uh, as you guys mentioned, there are five games left. Um, there are, you know, all winnable, I think, uh, even with all of a sudden, you know, Virginia's resurgence. And I said to somebody the other day, considering how they started, it blows my mind that Duke actually has a better record than North Carolina right now. But uh, Duke is right back where, you know, folks thought they would be at the beginning of the year. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll pose it to you guys. Sean, how do you think this team, uh, after getting the week off this week, uh, rounds out the, the rest of the conference season? Uh, great, great question try to always do the, the one game at a time, but I think it, it, you know, having three out of those five games at home, especially uh, playing what will be the toughest or second toughest game of the year, uh, you know, Saturday and being able to come back to Miami. Um, so I, I think, th- you know, three and two, four and one is, is where, you know, anything worse than three and two, I, I think uh, not that the, everything's falling apart, but um you know, losing at Virginia at Duke, I don't, I don't think is a is a crazy thing. So, I'll, I'm I'm gonna go. I think three and three and two, four and one, um, leaning three and two with how they've been how they've been playing. Sherelle, same question, sir. You know it was coming to you. Yeah, I don't know if I want to make a prediction about record. Uh, I'm taking the easy way out, but I, I do think this particular Carolina team is uh, better equipped to play against UVA 
and to handle some of the things they do. And I say that because uh, Harrison Ingram is still shooting. He didn't make a three on Saturday, but he's still shooting 40%. And he's a really good passer, and he's shooting you know, that well from three with volume. So there's that. Cormac Ryan has, uh, after we all got on him, I, I said, is he a shooter? I said it with my chest out last week. And he was like, I'm going to show you, loser. And he's made 50% of his threes, you know, since then. Um, so he's, he's rounding into form. R.J. Davis is R.J. Davis. We'll talk about him later. But um, on pace right now for when you consider percentage and volume, the, the best three-point shooting season in Carolina history, you know, bar none. Uh, so you have those three guys who are uniquely positioned to play well against them. Harrison Ingram's a great passer, so the ball's not going to stop. Baycott has gotten so much better at passing out the double team, and we know what UV is going to do. They're going to double team him. So I, I think you know this particular UNC team has some things that maybe past ones didn't that would enable them to go into UVA and get a win. Now the challenge is going to be Reese Bigman uh, is a really good player. You know he's six three. He can shoot over the top of Carolina's guards. I'm sure that they're going to try to to get Cadeau on him as much as possible and let him kind of go to work. So you have to watch that, and then. Um, the, the kid done uh, is blocking every shot and will be on the all defensive team. And so uh, you would expect that when UNT kind of gets into the paint, they're going to have to be really, really aggressive. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, I think they have a chance to beat UVA. I really do, especially with the way Ingram and now Ryan are shooting and with, they, with the way Davis is shooting. Because the way to beat UVA is to make your threes, because that's what they, they want to force you into is the tough threes. And if you can make tough threes, then you can beat them. And Hubert Davis has played pretty well. I think he's two and two against Tony Bennett with a couple of like major blowouts. Obviously, they haven't come at UVA. Um, so I, I'm almost going to count that as, as a win. I'm going out on a limb. Like I, I really think they can win that game. So for me, I think four and one is kind of probably what you're, what you're looking at. I, I think four and one I would be pretty pleased with because you make your layups, win at home, and then uh, you know, beat UVA and then, you know, see what happens at Duke. So I, I really think they can come out of the stretch four and one. And, and to your point, Sherelle, and, and I love that you didn't want to give a prediction, but you did anyway. That's, that's my, that's my Jedi mind trick for the evening. Uh, I, I, that game against UVA next Saturday is, is going to go a long way towards predicting uh, end of year regular season rankings and, and seeding for the, for the ACC tournament. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see, and yeah, maybe North Carolina does have a couple of uh, a couple of things differently that they haven't had the last few times they've played Virginia. Sean, I know you want to talk about Virginia's pace and just how much you love that offense. Go ahead. Virginia is up there along with the Big Ten in terms of just my favorite favorite teams to to watch <laughs> uh, as well as root for. So, um, you know, I, like the the UVA, they they certainly struggled early, and and like many other years, almost. They they turn around in ACC play and they they just dominate those ACC te- teams with their grueling style of defense and doing enough on on offense. I think to Sherelle's point, if if UNC is going to end the streak in Charlottesville, this is the type of team to do it. Um, obviously, last year they jumped out to a big lead behind that first half performance of Jalen Washington and and lost it uh, in the second half, but. What Sherelle was mentioning, you, you need three-point shooting, which is what Pitt had. Uh, you need to be able to make quick decisions, which I think this team team does. And the third thing offensively is if you can have a guy that can is just so much more athletic than them that it doesn't matter the pack line, pack line D, and that's Elliot Cadeau. Uh, and I think that's going to be 
really interesting to see who, you know, they're, they're a bigger team. So who's going to be guarding RJ really RJ was the only one that played well against them last year in the, in the tournament from, from the, from the team Armando struggled, but I know that was, he wasn't fully healthy. Um, but Cadeau, are they going to back off him even more? Are they going to have Beekman on him? Cause if he can put pressure and just get, get by them, obviously they play a physical style. I think that that will be a key, but you add all those factors. You, you look at Ingram and, and Ryan, and if they can shoot well, if Armando, if they can capitalize on that double team coming, uh, which you know is coming against Armando, then they're the more talented team. There's no question about that, but obviously they have always struggled in Charlottesville and UVA has been playing well, um, some great defenders. And we saw it last year where they're going to try to almost Villanova you most likely with Beekman and, you know, McNeely is more of a shooter. So you're probably not going to see him as much, but they're going to try to use their size and get these guys in one-on-one situations and, and down low. Uh, but I think this team definitely, if they can, if they're clicking, um, then, then I agree. I fully agree with uh, Sherelle for this upcoming Saturday, but. Tony Bennett knows more basketball than I ever will. He's forgotten, you know, et cetera, et cetera, insert cliche here. But if they put Isaac Mendeley on RJ Davis and put Reese Beatman on Elliot Cadeau, that is an amazing, like not utilizing your resources in the best way possible. Cause again, uh, you know, RJ Davis is, I, I, I should have looked at the stats beforehand, but I feel like every time he plays Virginia, he kind of goes off. He's played really well against the pack line. And, you know, taking your best defender and putting him on Cadeau, who right now isn't as much of a threat or, or close to as much of a threat to shoot from outside as R.J. Davis is, then you're, you're essentially making the game four on four by taking out your best defensive player. So, I mean, that would be – I'd be shocked if he did that. If, if he did, it's, it's great for Carolina, I think, um, because then Cadeau could use his speed to try to get by people and get in foul trouble. Um, but I, I think – the more natural kind of matchup is probably putting McNeely on Cadeau. Um, but then that brings another set of challenges. So UNC's backcourt uh, does, does offer some things that I think will give, you know, UVA some trouble. Which if, I mean, if McNeely is on him, he's going to be, he's going to be playing, playing back uh, even more so than. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be playing, sa- he'll be playing yep. safety basically. Yep. Yeah. But uh, there's, I, there, are, there are a few things that, that make me as happy as, is hearing Sean Moran talk about Big Ten and Virginia basketball. It just it's it's it's, it's right up there. Yeah. Any any last things you want to throw at it, Sean? Before we before we put this to bed. No, the the one thing I think you know we talked about the bench. Um, this is I think the type of team UVA's bigs are not going to try to outmuscle you down low. Um, so I think it it could be a game for Jalen Washington to. I don't think repeat what he did last year, but for him to him to play well and offer some minutes, especially offensively with potential face up or cutting to the basket and, and Seth Trimble, I think he's got it down now where he catches that ball in the corner. And if he's not shooting it, he's able to throw it into the post. And before he even lets the ball go, he's off, off cutting. And I think that, that once again, that goes to that quick movement. Um, because I think for the most part, UVA is kind of like the, the tennis player that's just going to force you into making mistakes but if you're if you have if you have that ability um then sometimes it can be an easier defense to to pick apart um so hopefully it's more of the pittsburgh style uh, uh last week than uh how uva was looking against miami uh or, or wake forest from a defensive perspective so one of the things that i think has been really fun um even even the losses is trying to see the 
see how North Carolina responds when they've had some adversity. Um, I think it's it's been unique ways that they've responded in each time. Uh, I do think maybe they have figured out this, uh, the aberration that they had in the last couple of games where uh, they shot more threes than they took free throws. And that is absolutely antithetical to what the DNA of Carolina basketball has been for, for years. Well, just don't expect to shoot any free throw Saturday. Let's just go ahead and no. put that out there. Like <laughs> they're, you, they're going to shoot. Sh- what, I, you know what? If I had, if we were in a sports betting state, which you saw where I was going, letters, yes, <laughs> I, I would, I, I would put a large amount of money that they will take more threes and free throws next Saturday. I, I would, again, we're not in a sports betting state, so I'm, I'm not saying that I can do that in North Carolina, but if I could, I, I would do so because it, you know, they, they, they do whether it's. Whether it's subliminal or whether the referees are doing it on purpose, yeah, it sounds that sounds conspiracy theorist, but they're definitely UVA because of how good they are defensively. I think are allowed to get away with a little bit more, just just a touch, not not anything egregious, but you know maybe a little tug here, maybe a little bump here, maybe a little extra movement on a screen there. Uh, so Carolina has to prepare for that. They have to accept it. They can't get frustrated. I think in the past they have gotten frustrated and it's contributed to some of their losses up there. Uh, they have to know that uh, it, it's going to be a, a very physical game and that they might get bumped and, and it just got to get back up. Because there have been times this season where Carolina's guys have kind of looked at the official out there play like, are you, are you going to call a foul? I and am. That, that's not going to work Saturday. I'm going to go ahead and go on record just as you are, Shrill, and saying that uh, Elliot Cadeau is, has already been knocked to the floor twice with no call. Um, right. Based on based on what I expect to happen. And that's that's less about any sort of uh, that's less about Virginia's defense and more about the way ACC officials have been totally inept this year, but also the way they're officiating Elliot Cadeau, which I could do an entire show about that. But I digress. Anyway, yeah, going not, back. It's not homerism. I, I, want, I don't want anybody no. here to accuse us of homerism, but no, it, it is it is different when you go and play there. And I think they have to watch tape of UVA and see how see how they've played the season. And they have to prepare themselves for what's going to be extra physical, you know, extra contact. That's not homerism. That's just being prepared for the environment you're going to. I'm de- well, and it's it's how it's also you know to rip off one of one of of Sean's comments. Like it's just it's what they've done for however long. It's the way they've been successful. And and you know you you go out there and you do all those things and you force them to force the officials to call it or not call it and see what happens. Uh, but the adversity that I think has been unique to see North Carolina responding from um, is has been interesting, but also educational. Uh, if you find yourself in such adversity, you should probably uh, try to go for for what is consistent, and that's Johnny T-shirt. Um, Johnny T-shirt is incredibly consistent with their delivery of top-notch selection prices and sizing. So if you need all these different sizes for whatever it is you know you would like to wear from their uh their assortment of wares available online they can take care of you uh they're great with the shipping they're really quick about it uh their warehouse is is just north of chapel hill so they get things to you uh prompt quick fast and in a hurry as my dad would say so check out johnny t-shirt um if you were in town this past weekend maybe you went by there and checked them out i'm gonna go ahead and tell you something right now if you saw any of the uniforms that the UNC baseball team wore on Sunday uh, against Wagner, those things are finer than frog hair split eight ways. 
Johnny T-shirt has those, right? You can get these new UNC baseball has like four different uniforms this year or new uniforms this year. You can get those from Johnny T-shirt. Use your premium code that you can find on the message boards. Hit them up. Uh, you'll be glad you did because we are just, just very lucky to have them as supporters of uh, of Johnny of Inside Carolina, and we want us to support them the same way uh, that they support Inside Carolina. We'll take a quick break. Let the uh, national guys run some ads real quick. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more about your questions for those of you who are joining us live here on the Coast to Coast podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Appreciate everybody being a part of the show tonight. I'm Joey Powell, host of the Coast to Coast from inside Carolina, along for the ride. I mean, I'm, I'm basically chauffeuring them at this point because they're the VIPs. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Guys, we have some uh, questions from the audience tonight, and I think we should probably start getting to those. Uh, any objections before we start that process? Or are you guys good with it? I would say one, one quick thing, just on UVA, we were talking about UNC offense. Um, I think and earlier, Joe, you were talking about three-point percentage. UVA is shooting 40% from the three-point line in ACC play, so number one. So that'll be mm-hmm. interesting to watch, just given their low turnover rate, slow pace, slow pace of possession, and the way they've been shooting, really, from uh, you know the guards up to the, the bigs. Yeah, and it's in their barn, too, right? That always matters. Um, okay, we'll take some questions here, and I'll, I'll if you guys feel really strongly and you really just want to crush the answer, feel free. Um, but if not, I'll try to, to spread them out evenly so that you you both can enjoy the rest of your evening. First question from our guy, Stephen Ryan. Our guy. I just Corey Alexander him because he's the first question for the night. Stephen Ryan asks, after how Wojcik played last week, do you think he should have earned more minutes this week? Thought he could have given some blows. And obviously he's pointing out, um, you know, North Carolina did pl- play, uh, didn't play the bench as much uh, in the second half against Syracuse. They probably, uh, as folks probably would have liked. But again, that that's hindsight. Uh, Cheryl, how do you feel about Paxton Wojcik and how he acquitted himself? And do you see a way he finds a path to more playing time? I thought he played well, especially those those two games that Trimble was out. Uh, he contributed. It, it's kind of overlooked in the Clemson game, but he had a decent stat line. He scored, played you know pretty solid defense. Um, I think he hit a shot against Miami. Maybe uh, I I can't recall. It's, it's all starting to run together. Maybe that was Clemson then. <clears throat> but at any rate, I, I thought he he was solid, which is kind of what you want him to be. I think Syracuse that we just talked about how athletic their guards are, how quick they are, how you know athletic they are. That's just not a good matchup for him. So I understand why he didn't um, against Syracuse. And then against Virginia Tech, the game pretty much was in hand. Um, so I, I think he, I think kind of his minutes are what they're going to be, which is two or three minutes in the first half to give either 
RJ Davis or Elliot Cadeau or, or even Cormac Ryan, a, a little bit of a break. Um, and then situationally from there, but that's kind of his role in the team. And I think he's, he's doing it well, but I don't know if there's particularly a, a path to additional playing time, you know, sans injury. Wojcik did not have a basket against Miami. He did have three rebounds. Um, and I think he might've collected an offensive uh, or might've collected uh, a charge or caused an offensive foul against one of Miami's players as well. Sean, this question is absolutely right up your alley. It's from Tony Robinson. Tony asks, what does RJ need to do now that teams have adjusted to him on high screens? It's a great, great question. And was just looking at RJ's numbers and, and over the last five games, still over 20 points per game, uh, still shooting over 40% from three. But one thing, um, you know, against Virginia Tech, uh, second half, random, you know, random left, left to right. Uh, for a kind of a wide, wide open three. So utilize a lot more off ball movement. There have been t- the times in the past, which hasn't really been utilized, but uh, from, from back cuts when he is on that left wing or, or right wing. And, you know, I think once again, that's just some easier things that can, that can do, especially with teams overplaying him to a certain extent when he does not have the ball, or even when he does have the ball in those, those pick and rolls. Um, so those would just kind of some off ball movement, I think is just one area of focus that I think, as teams are just going to keep keen on him, um, ways to get easier looks. I saw a comment earlier that he had his first floater in this game since since Duke, and um, you know I I think he has struggled a little bit more inside the three point line. Um, so I, I think the easier looks that he can get because he's been continues to hit tough shots, um, and teams are starting to play him differently, be more aggressive with him. But to me, the key is some of the off ball movement that they have been running, but as well as sometimes they've, they missed them or, or even to do it a little more frequently. Uh, if you look at that, uh, that skip pass that Cadeau hit to him uh, against Virginia tech with the clock, the shot clock running down. Uh, if, if that vision and RJ is still able to get that movement, I think that's a perfect example of, of what you're, what you're pointing out there, Sean. Um, next question, Steve Williams asks, how do the non-starters get better when Withers and Washington play well, they're pulled. When they play poorly, they get pulled. It's hard to improve with those playing time restrictions. So I, I think Steve's trying to just throw out there, what can those guys do to to get more time when it seems like Hubert Davis's leash is is pretty truncated no matter what? Sherelle, I'll throw that one at you. Yeah, you're not going to like this answer, but I don't know uh, because I'm not in practice with them every day. Uh, I think we've seen kind of how Hubert Davis wants to play. We have three years of evidence almost that says – He's going to you know, ride with his guys pretty much. And with Washington, I think part of it is, you know, he just right now he's struggling defensively and has been for the majority of the year. So there's only so much time he can get, um, you know, considering that fact. For Withers, I think there are times where he plays a little bit out of himself and he kind of forgets exactly what he's in the game to do, what, it, what his role is. Uh, so it might be a situation, especially with Withers, where, nine minutes is, is enough before things start to kind of go wrong. So you don't want to play him anymore and, and expose him to some of the issues that he, he, he may have. And I think what well, Washington is just as simple as, as, as defense. Like, you know, I, I think another season of, of getting stronger and, and improving his conditioning, still continuing to work his way back from those, you know, three devastating injuries will help. But right now, just on the defensive end, it's hard to leave him in for long because the other team sees him in there and they go right at him. Yeah, we've mentioned it here before, and I think I might have missed it when I 
I played substitute teacher for Tommy and John on on the beat the other night. Washington's got good skills at blocking shots and timing shots. I think where he's struggling is still with some of his lateral quickness, and Shrill absolutely aced that just now, that when teams see him in there, they're going to try to move him side to side, and he's just it's something that he's struggling with. And the staff knows it, and I'm sure that, like Shrill said, they're they're trying to they're trying to kind of pick their spots so that doesn't make it worse on him, but also that he does get some of that some of that exposure. Um, Cheryl, I'm going to ask you. This is from Brian Evans, but it's something I wanted to ask earlier, and I got a little sidetracked. Um, the team's off this week. Brian's going to ask, what's the most important benefit to have this week besides rest and healing? But Cheryl, before you answer that, I'd like you to say what what does the teams when they have that midweek buy? What does the week typically look like for them? I know they had um, I know they had a Special Olympics event today uh, at the Smith Center. Uh, I know Marcus Page took some time out to have a baby. Uh, so congratulate to he and his wife. They uh, had their first child, um, which is why he wasn't on the bench for the uh, Virginia Tech game, I would assume. Um, but what typically happens, you know, when you have this break in the middle of the season? How how do you think the staff might change things up, or what do you think the the schedule will look like this week. And then if you want to take uh, take Brian's question about what's the most important thing, uh, feel free. Well, it's I think it's a misconception that they just go away to Cancun for like three days and don't do anything basketball related. Like they're still going to be in the gym. They'll still be getting shots up. They'll still have um, individual workouts, kind of, I guess you would call it like work uh, for a couple of days. Of course, they'll they'll get in with the trainers and they'll lift and just try to get their body back right and back fine tuned for the final stretch run. And then um, I don't think they're going to have like real, real practices until later in the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be kind of that light stuff, the the shooting, conditioning, cold tub, uh, lifting weights, that kind of stuff. And then later in the week, they'll get back to real practice. I think what we should look for is that earlier this season, again, I keep going back to it. Um, they lost those two games back-to-back to Kentucky and Connecticut, gave up a lot of points. Um, they found a way to beat Oklahoma, and then everybody went home for Christmas break. And they were there um, through Christmas Day, and then they had, I guess, four days to kind of work themselves into a lather and just kind of, to use football cliches, get back to basics during the bye week, go back to the fundamentals of tackling and all the good stuff that you install in the fall. You know, that's kind of really what the basketball team did, did as well. And after that, they went on a 10-game winning streak, and they somehow fixed the defense. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen this time, but I do think the value of having real practices where you can install things and you can, as Hubert Davis would say, make pivots and alterations and tweaks, uh, they haven't had that because it's been you know, a game, and then it's been rest for a day. It's been light practice. You know, Here's the scouting report for so-and-so team. Next day, go play. This is the first time they've had this space to kind of install things to go back and like actually practice uh, and and get ready for the rest of the year. So I think that's the most important benefit is the fact that they can self-scout. They can look at what's happened this year, all the stuff that we're talking about. Why isn't, why isn't uh, Jalen Washington, why aren't Jalen Washington and Jalen Worthers playing more? How have teams adjusted to RJ Davis? How can they get Elliot, Elliot Cadeau, you know, going downhill more? What's the best way to get bake out the ball? How can they get Ryan going? All those things is what they'll do this week and try and figure out, some answers to maybe not all those questions, but a few of them, install them, and then get ready for the home stretch. Yeah, Hubert Davis actually said in the post game uh, after Virginia Tech, uh, he made the comment that they haven't really had a chance to work on themselves because they've been game planning for their next opponent. 
And to Sherelle's, you know, Sherelle, you, you nailed it. It's they've now got a chance to work on things that makes North Carolina good as opposed to opponent specific preparation, which is basically what you're ta- what you're what you're tasked with for most of the season. Sean. One one quick thing outside of what Sherelle just mentioned, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, I feel they usually use the the, the bye week um, to get out on the road a little bit more, especially early on. So I think we'll be interesting to see if they do that, and if so, where are they where are they going, who are they watching uh, throughout the week for some of the some of the games that will be occurring. So, uh, last question um, before we uh, before we wrap it up tonight and, and start throwing some pennies around. Um, I like this question, and I think it's it's not going to get a lot of traction outside of the ACC, and maybe even outside of of you know the North Carolina stratosphere. But Adam McKnight asks, is there a legit case or scenario where R.J. Davis can win National Player of the Year? Uh, you saw today, as we're recording this on Sunday night, um, Zach Eady and Purdue lost to Ohio State. That's the same Ohio State that fired their coach earlier this week and parted ways with Chris Holtman. Um, Zach Eady didn't have the greatest game. Uh, and I think most folks just assume that he's, because he came back, that he's probably going to win it again. Uh, I'm going to let Sean start with this one. Is there a legit scenario where R.J. Davis can win National Player of the Year? So you can be as hypothetical here as you want to. I would say, unfortunately not. I I think Edie, for the most part, has it locked up, um, barring, you know, some strange things over the next few weeks. Um, You know, I think if if he were to go lights out over the next next five games and, and ACC tournament, I think he could definitely put himself in the in the conversation. I don't think he has been in the conversation, uh, despite having just such a fantastic season, really from from the beginning to end, averaging over twenty points in in conference play. What he's doing from a shooting perspective, um, so I think he would still need to, you know, right now he'd have to go. I think high high twenties in not every game to to end the season, but I'd I'd say in in a vast majority to put himself on that footing with what Edie has been doing all year, plus to go with the national media attention and media story that Edie and Purdue have, uh, you know, for, for him coming back. So I think it's, it's an uphill battle uh, to say the least, but nothing that he couldn't do with, with a few even top performances the next few weeks. Sean, I'll ask you a follow-up before I kick it to Sherell for, for his insight. You feel like he's guaranteed first team all American though? I think still a lot of time to be a lot of a lot of games left uh, before any any guarantees are to be made. But I do think he's put himself in a very very good position uh, to be deserving of that, which I think has been uh, you know far from from the case in in years past for for a North Carolina team. All right, Cheryl, give us your uh, give us your your twist on that. Yeah, don't count your money while you're sitting at the table, but <laughs> but I think. Uh, he should be a first-team All-American based upon the games that have been played so far. Um, there is uh, two really big games left and then three games that UNC probably should win. Uh, so if he shines, especially uh, in that final game against Duke, I, I think it's a lock. He's, he's a lock for ACC first team. Let's go ahead and put that out there. Mm-hmm. He's probably as close as you can get to a lock for ACC Player of the Year, and now that could change how UNC, depending upon how UNC finishes. Um, but national player of the year, the question was, is there a legit case scenario? Is there a case for it? Yeah. I think I think there's a legit case. 
for it, especially with what Sean said. If he finishes with five straight games of 25 or more and takes UNC deep into the ACC tournament, sure, there, there's a case for it. Is there a scenario for it? I, I don't think so, because one thing about college basketball media is that there is a, a great deal of groupthink, and that there is um, maybe an over-reliance over sometimes on metrics. And Edie, by far, in every efficiency metric, is by far the best player in the country. And Purdue, in almost every efficiency measurement, is one of the two or three best teams in the country. So when you have someone who's that far ahead of everybody else in efficiency, uh, I think sometimes people look at those stats and the box scores and maybe don't watch full games. And so when you add all that together, it's kind of created a perfect storm where people are almost offended if you ask the question like, hey, is, is Zach Eady really National Player of the Year? Like, great player, probably is going to be. But even the ask of the question is met with like, Psh, how dare you ask such a question? Um, and I think <laughs> because of that, there's not really a scenario where R.J. Davis can win. I, I, I do think he'll end up being a first-team All-American, though. Appreciate the answers. And thanks for everybody for getting those good questions in here. That always, uh, we all, you know, we would like to take every question, but obviously time constraints and whatnot. Uh, so, guys, before we get out of here, this is the part of the show we like to call Our Two Cents, where Sherelle and Sean will kind of uh, freelance, one of Sherelle's favorite words, and and give uh, their last thoughts, parting shots, if you will, uh, before we end the show. And this segment is brought to you by our friends at Congruity. Uh, if you've listened to any of Inside Carolina's content for any period of time recently, you'd understand uh, that Congruity is, is kind of one of these companies that is absolutely going to make your small or medium-sized business better. That's why they exist. It's what they pride themselves on. Uh, their customer service and their understanding of your mission as a company is what sets them apart. And what they're going to do is once they understand that, they're going to kind of take a look at things for you, help you understand where you can maybe be a little more efficient, where you can optimize some things, where you can get a little bit better at how you spend your earned dollar so that you can focus on the things that help you earn more of said dollars. Go to congruityhr forward slash Tar Heels right now. They'll give you a free assessment of your small or medium-sized business. And what they'll do then is they'll probably have some ideas as to how they can help you uh, take some of the uh, administrative HR benefits type things off of your plate so that you can go focus on either growing the company, scaling the company, whatever you want to do. But basically, it's the things where you're you're making money. Congruity wants to be that ally for you. They want to be that teammate. They want you to trust them. And we appreciate their support here on Inside Carolina. All right, guys, your two pennies. Sean Moran, give me two cents. I think first one, just staying on the the RJ Davis train. Uh, you know, he's made 19 threes over the last five games. As Cheryl mentioned, having almost you know really a historic season. So. I think just appreciating what what he's doing, uh, especially given each year has kind of been a, a build up to to this year where he has put himself in in those conversations that were that we're having. I mean, some of those shots that he's hitting, uh, you just have to shake your head and just say say wow. So it, it has been something extremely fun to to watch the player playing like that at such a high high caliber. Um, and then two, we talked about Jalen Jalen Washington, uh, kind of the concerns defensively. Offensively, he's still you know, per per synergy in the 99th percentile on a points per possession basis. So he's when he gets the ball, he's he's being effective. He's he's doing what you know above and beyond what he needs to do. And I think if he can carve out 
over these next few weeks, um, kind of that consistent roll off the bench, I think it does help Armando, especially towards the end of the game, uh, to go to go a little harder. But you can't have those defensive either lapses, and once again, teams are going to try to target him. So he needs to need to step it up defensively so that he can let his offense shine in those those five, ten, whatever minutes he's getting per game. So RJ and Jalen, two things uh, for me this week. Sherell. I would also like two of those little copper round things with Abe Lincoln's head on it from you, sir. Uh, I'll continue with RJ Davis, uh, his historic three-point season. So he's 82 of 200 uh, this season from three. Uh, this is the highest percentage of his career, um, the most threes in a single season in his career already. And I believe, uh, the fact people can check me on this, but I believe Marcus Page, Justin Jackson, Cameron jo- Cam Johnson, Brady Manick and Caleb Love are the only Carolina players to make 93s in a season. And so RJ has seven games to get eight to make it there. Um, but Justin Jackson's record of, of 105 is sitting out there. And I think it's reachable for him to have, you know, really, again, when you combine percentage and usage and attempts, um, the best three-point shooting season in Carolina history. So that's the kind of year that he's having. And then two, we talked about the offense a little bit. Um, so Carolina has played seven ACC home games, three remaining, and they are averaging 88 points per game in those seven ACC home games. Uh, so I think that has come around, and I think playing at home is definitely a, a huge benefit for, uh, for UNC, and having three of the final five at home should help them um, you know, finish the season out strong. Yeah, I, when you guys are talking about RJ and some of the shots that he's hitting, it's – I made the joke on here earlier, but it really does. He's so confident with it. It feels like a layup. Like when he's able to catch it and step into it, it feels like a layup. And then you have the absolute absurd shots, like the one he hit the step back from right in front of the UNC bench the other day, which like that, I know he's six foot tall, but that's an NBA shot. Like that, creating that separation on your own and hitting that shot with the purity that he hit it with. I I, I don't know how else to describe that. I think, I think that was the toughest shot I've seen him hit, like in his entire career. There's, there's uh, maybe the one against Baylor, like to start the game um, in yeah. the tournament was was really difficult. But this, like the shot clock was winding down, the the, the defender was all over him. Right, the defender was right, taller yes. than him. He didn't have any space, and he he stepped back, jumped, and shot the ball all in one motion, like in the rhythm. kind of torque in rhythm. The kind of torque that puts on your body is is wild. So. Yeah, man, that that's one of those that it's going to be in his highlight reel for a long time because it's just you don't expect people to make that. Yeah, and it's I, I went back and watched that probably a minimum of five times, and I still, to your point, sure, I have no idea how that shot, how he gets that shot off. I like just it's it, the the there's nothing a defender can do except tip your cap, go down, and try to get one back. Uh, guys, this has been a fun show. I appreciate y'all doing it uh, live tonight. Um, grateful for everybody who made us a part of of their evening on Sunday as we record this. Uh, if you didn't catch us live, you know, we can't do them all live. But we try to do uh, a couple live ones here or there. Either way, we appreciate you listening to the show. Sean, what I miss? No, all, all good. Nothing? Oh, I, I, thought you, I thought you were slowing me down because I forgot something. Um, we appreciate everybody making us a part of the show. I appreciate Sean and Sherelle for, uh, for what they bring because otherwise ain't nobody trying to hear me for an entire hour just drone on about whatever. Uh, so thanks y'all for the great questions tonight. Uh, appreciate Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity for sponsoring. Appreciate John Siegley for producing. And until next time, 
Uh, we'll only have one game to talk about when we do this next week. Hopefully uh, the Tar Heels can um, can maybe exercise some demons up in, in Charlottesville. But uh, we appreciate you guys. We will talk at you very, very soon here on the Coast to Coast podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Like, this is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.